open the word to us and for his blessing. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that it speaks to us clearly as to who you are and how to worship you and how to live a life that is pleasing to you and how to reestablish a relationship with you when with our sin we have broken fellowship with you. Father, we're grateful for Jesus Christ, which is revealed to us, who is revealed to us in the scriptures as both God and man, who died for our sins and rose again to pay the penalty for our sins and to purchase a place for us in heaven. Father, we are grateful for him because without him, we could not address you as father and we could not be in relationship with you. Father, we pray as we study your word this morning that you would open it up to us, help us to understand it. Father, we thank you also for the gifts that have already been given today, for the sacrifice of praise that comes as we bring part of our resources to you and say, from the first fruits of what you have given me, I also give to you, because I am grateful for what you've done in my life. Father, we thank you for those gifts. We pray also for our brother, Ron uh, Franks, who is uh, recovering from diverticulitis. Father, we, we pray for the healing of his body, and that he would be able to be back with us soon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you find your way to Matthew chapter 5, uh, let me tell you something you may not know. Every uh, Friday night at our house, uh, we have family movie night, and Karen and I try not to schedule too many things on Fridays so we can all sit down for a movie and eat pizza and um, enjoy some time together. And lately, we have been watching Pirates of the Caribbean. And one of the common things to those movies is a character uh, played by Johnny Depp whose name is Captain Jack Sparrow, right? And if you've seen those movies, you know that Captain Jack has this compass, right? And this compass is not like any other compass you've ever seen. It's weird looking to start with, but it also does not point north, ever. Except maybe by accident, right? And it's because the compass is not designed to tell you direction. It's designed to point you to the thing that you desire most in the world at that moment interesting little gimmick in that movie and in within the context of the movies it points to a variety of things it points to islands full of buried treasure uh, it points to magical chests that allow you to control the kraken uh, it points you to beautiful women among other things but it unfailingly points to the thing that the person who's holding it wants most in the world now, I bring all that up not so that you all rush out to go see Johnny Depp play a long-haired pirate, uh, but because part of what I think Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes is to try to help us to see what it is that we really want most. And, what, and if what we really want most is the approval and the favor of God, then Jesus tells us very clearly how to get it. And it isn't 
extra magic compass. You'll be delighted to know. Uh, it's, it's through the attitudes that he describes here in the Beatitudes. And last week we saw that having God's favor, first of all, involves recognizing your need for grace. Recognizing that there's nothing that you can bring to the table for which God is going to be terribly impressed. Uh, nothing that you can offer to him by way of good deeds you're going to do or being a good person that is going to make you acceptable to God. Instead, you have to simply recognize that you need grace. You need a free gift bestowed on you. And after that, you need to turn away from your past life and toward Jesus Christ and embrace him. And then number uh, uh, number three you need to yield control over your life to the Lord. Now this week we're going to look at three more things, three more beatitudes, if you will. And these are things that don't involve receiving salvation from God initially, but are the results of having received it already. There are things that show up in your life if you have, have come into a relationship with God to start with, then these are some things that start to show up in your life as results. Not things that you have to do to receive it, but things that you need to exhibit as a result of having received it. Amen? All right. So, uh, first one is in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, those of you who know me fairly well know that I like the outdoors. I like to hunt. I like to fish. Um, I have a lot of non-hunting friends. And occasionally someone will ask me about things that I have hunted and so forth. And they'll want to know about things that I have eaten as a result of going hunting. Right? Uh, one that came up this last week, I, had a, I have a, a, one of my former college roommates, sent me a link on Facebook uh, to an investigation they'd had at a Los Angeles grocery store over raccoon meat that was being sold in this grocery. And um, he said, hey, I'm reading this, I thought of you. <laughs> right? And uh, sometimes people have asked me, so uh, you ever eaten a beaver? No. Okay, how about raccoon? No. <laughs> okay. A uh, whole list of other things uh, of, uh, of, uh, of, of feathered and finned and uh, furry critters, but never those, right? And my standard response if somebody asked me about one of those kinds of animals, you ever eaten a possum? No. Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, is this. No, I have never been that hungry. Never been that hungry, right? Uh, but and I, And the reason I say that is because is because, honestly, that's the truth. And we have never been in this country in truly desperate circumstances. We have never, we've never looked out at our bird feeder in the yard and thought, huh, lunch, right? That doesn't occur normally, right? Um, but if, if we were in really desperate circumstances, 
And I'm not talking about the financial market crash. I'm talking about everything was just cataclysmically shut down. We were at war and people took us over or something like that, right? If that was the case, I have no doubt that the menu list would expand considerably, right? Uh, you'd see a, a fresh-killed squirrel along the side of the road and go, hmm, that's kind of looking good. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's not stiff yet. Let's pick him up, right? Um, I'm serious. If things were really desperate and you were really hungry, there'd be a whole variety of things that you would want to put in your mouth because you were that hungry. Maybe even a raccoon, although that's stretching it. I don't know. But, but in any case, we have, most of us, never been that kind of hungry. Jesus is talking to people for whom famine and hunger and drought is a feature of life. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, we don't maybe understand hunger and thirst. You know, we're, we get thirsty, a little thirsty, you know. We go turn on the tap in our kitchen and out comes clean, cold water. We get hungry, we go to the pantry. We go to the fridge. Failing that, we go to Sam's, you know. We go to Kroger. We go somewhere and get something to eat, right? But physical hunger and thirst are not the, de the desires that Jesus is addressing. Well, human beings have a lot of desires besides food and drink that they give their life over to pursuing and to satisfying. And many times the desires of people's hearts are just like the ones in the pirate movies. Uh, they're after unlimited wealth, or they're after fabulous power, or they're after an attractive girlfriend or boyfriend. But those who follow Jesus have a different goal. According to Jesus, those who have a, a different goal follow him, hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's Starving, if you will, for holiness. Starving for holiness. Recognizing that the empty places in your heart and in mine can only be filled with the holy presence of God. Not of food, not of wealth, not of power, not of uh, attractive companionship. Uh, they can only be filled with God. And you are striving, therefore, to obtain what is not naturally yours, which is a holy and God-honoring life. God saves us by grace, and he transforms us by his grace also. But it's not to say that there is no effort required, is it? Paul says it this way in Philippians 2.12. He says, work out your salvation with fear and there's work involved. It's, it's grace-empowered. It's faith-filled. It's uh, spirit-fueled effort, to be sure. But it's effort. And there's a striving for holiness that we should have. And ironically, with this hunger, one of the things that happens is this. 
is that your hunger and thirst for holiness, for righteousness, grow as it is satisfied in God's presence. The more that you are with the Lord, the more that you spend time with God, the hungrier and thirstier to know more of Him and to be filled with more of His holiness grows. Like this. You ever opened a bag of Doritos? I'll bet you can't eat one. Or at least not only one. Right? Why? Because, you know, if you don't have any, it's okay. You can walk by the Doritos and it's not a big deal. But if you open that bag and you smell that nacho cheese smell, and you put one in your mouth, pretty soon you're going to want another one. Right? And then a little while later, you're going to want another one. And a very short while after that, you're going to want another one, right? And pretty soon you've eaten half a bag of Doritos, right? Uh, and in some sense, hunger and thirst for holiness works like that. That the more of God's holiness that you taste and experience and enjoy, the more and more you cannot be satisfied until you have consumed it all until you have gotten to the point where you've entered into God's presence, which one day we will. But And that's what Jesus says, that you will be satisfied. Well, when will you be satisfied? Well, you experience some satisfaction now. But a day is coming when you'll be fully satisfied because you'll be fully transformed into the likeness of God. You will fully enjoy His holiness and you will be in His presence and see His holiness in all of its grandeur and glory. You will be satisfied. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. Amen? Let's read the next one. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now the word that's translated mercy and merciful here is an interesting word. It refers to the kind of compassion for other people that does something to help them when they are in distress. Uh, and there's two kinds of needs that people have that they need compassion for. Uh, the first one is physical needs. Remember Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan? Remember how it ends? Jesus asks, asks the, the Pharisee who asked him the question about who is my neighbor? Jesus turned the question back around and said, so who was a neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? And he says, I suppose the one who had mercy. He was the neighbor. Uh, this past week, I read the story of a 19th century English preacher. And this is a great story. I love this. This English preacher saw his friend out in the street, and his friend was out, and a crowd was gathered because his friend's horse had been accidentally killed. And everybody's kind of gathered around, and everybody's singing the, oh, ain't it awful, oh, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry. And uh, his, his friend, the preacher, took off his hat and took out his wallet and took out a five-pound note, British pound, five pounds, and put it in his hat. And he said, I'm sorry, five pounds. How about the rest of you? And passed his hat around and took up a collection. All right? Why? 
because he says, look, compassion is action. Compassion is not just knowing that somebody is in need and feeling badly that they are in need, but doing nothing to help. To be a merciful person is to be a person who takes action to do something about their need. You're not a merciful person because you feel badly that somebody is in need. You're a merciful person when feeling badly, you respond and do something about their need. Amen? And Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. James says it this way, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without doing Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Good question. The answer is, none at all. Blessed are the merciful. And that's the kind of mercy that God approves. The kind of mercy He approves is the kind that takes action. The other kind of mercy that God approves, and that those who offer it receive God's favor in, is the forgiving kind. Not just physical needs, but also offering forgiveness. Mercy is the attitude of a person who refuses to hold a grudge or allow an offense that's been suffered to build a wall between them and the other person. One of the great stories about forgiveness I've ever heard is it came from Clara Barton. Clara Barton was the founder of the American Red Cross and a Christian woman. And some friend of hers hurt her very deeply. And sometime later, another friend came up and said, Hey, I ran into so-and-so the other day, and I remember they really hurt you. And this was her response. That was beautiful. She says, Yeah, but I distinctly remember forgetting that. Catch that? I distinctly remember forgetting that. She understood what it meant to be a person of mercy. That I, though I was hurt, I have extended forgiveness and I will not hold a grudge or allow a wall to be built between me and them anymore. I release them from what justice demands. and Grant them forgiveness and I won't hold it against them anymore. She was a merciful friend. And by the way, that kind of merciful spirit is not the kind of thing you can just manufacture on your own. Being a merciful person is a result of understanding how much God has shown mercy to you. And when you understand that, you become a merciful person with a merciful heart. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter verse 12 he says remember what you were and he's going to describe it for us you were strangers you were separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world in case you didn't catch that let me give you the paraphrase this is my paraphrase you and I were headed for hell on a rocket but God showed mercy to us. 
and he adopted us into his family by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? And we have been shown fabulous mercy. And our debt has been canceled out. And our bill has been paid, if you will. And therefore, we have been the recipients of a vast and unfathomable mercy. You cannot get to the bottom of God's mercy and grace. Amen? And therefore, as the people who have been recipients of that kind of mercy, we ought also, as God's people, be the dispensers of it. The church ought to be the one place where you can find mercy and grace on tap. Amen? Because we are the people who have been recipients of unfathomable, unlimited grace. That we who were in rebellion against God, we who were sinners separated from God, we who had no claim on the promises of God, have nevertheless been granted membership in the kingdom of God by the Son of God. We are recipients of mercy. And God says that those who have been recipients of mercy ought to be merciful people and that those who are receive His approval. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. When do we receive mercy? Well, we receive mercy at salvation when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. You know when else we receive mercy? We die and we stand before God. And he says to us, come, enjoy your master's happiness. Was there any moment in your life to this point where you have thought to yourself, you know, I deserve everything God has given me. <laughs> okay, no. It's never a thought, never has occurred to me that I ever deserve what God has given to me. But nevertheless, I received mercy and so did you. And one day we will receive mercy all over again. And when we get to heaven, though we know that through faith in Christ we will receive a rich welcome, I'll bet that most of us will still be shocked to be there. <laughs> I can't believe they're letting me in. And I'll see some of you and, I'll, and you'll be like, yeah, I can't believe they'll let you in either. <laughs> okay. But we have been the recipients of marvelous mercy. And we will receive mercy again on the great day. Amen? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. One more to look at this morning. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, if you look at the other two Beatitudes we're considering this morning, you'll notice... The first one deals with the desires of your mind and your heart and how those play out in your life. And the second one deals with how having a transformed heart affects your hands and your feet and what you do to help other people. And this one addresses the relationship between your eyeballs and your heart. Our eyes are amazing. They really are. 
They allow us to experience the world in ways that it is a terrible burden to live without. And one of the last senses that we would ever give up is our eyesight. And in our day, there are more amazing things to see than any other period in human history. We live in a visual age. Uh, There are movies, there's TV, there's football games, amen, and art, (laughs) and a vast array of things to read and to experience through the internet. You know, there's great stuff that you can read. You can read a book on a little computer that fits in your pocket. You can have thousands of those things. A little computer that fits in your pocket. And you can sit at the beach and have the waves wash in on your feet and read and enjoy and take in this stuff through your eyes. And these incredible advances in visual technology have brought us a lot of very good things. But they have also brought a mushrooming number of opportunities to take in evil through our eyes as well. Amen? Everything from advertising to TV programs to most movies to a lot of art uh, to books present a worldview that is completely at odds with God and His Word. And they teach us at a minimum at a very minimum, even ones that aren't explicitly evil. Most books, most movies, most TV shows, most uh, forms of entertainment, most things that you see teach you that the things that you see are the only things worth seeing in the world. And Jesus addresses us with something completely different. He says, that the one thing that you need to not miss seeing is God Himself. And so according to Scripture, what you take in through your eyes has a profound effect on your heart, for good or for evil. And the converse is often also true, that what you um, choose to see is often a function of what your heart desires. And that's the reason, I think, that Jesus links having a pure heart with seeing God. When our hearts are filled with sin, then what we long to focus on are things that are sinful. And when our hearts are full of the Lord, then we long to focus on things and to turn our gaze to things that bring Him honor and joy. But when our heart is full of sin, we find holiness repellent and sin appealing. Amen? When our hearts are pure, we lift our gaze from the things of earth up to God and we begin to see Him and we begin to long to see Him in all of His glory. And the great lie of every sin is this. It's the same one for every sin. That if you do this, Or if you think this, or if you say this, that you will possess something of ultimate value. But sin is a lie, not because we don't get anything out of it. Sometimes sin is fun. I'll be honest. Sometimes sin is fun. In that moment. 
You know, sometimes when somebody cuts you off in traffic, what comes out of your mouth next feels really good. Right? It does. It does. Sometimes when you're having an argument and you are losing and you really want to say what you really think and you do, it feels great in that moment. But the lie is this, is that what you receive isn't of ultimate value. Did Adam and Eve, when they ate the fruit, did they understand the difference between good and evil? Yeah, they did. What Satan told them, they would know the difference between good and evil. They, they got that. The difference was, and the problem was, that they understood the difference between good and evil by becoming a participant in evil. And in rebellion against God, and they then became recipients of a curse and were separated from God, and they settled for something less than what God had given. And in the same way, the things that we see with our eyes and the things that we lust after with our hearts whether those are jobs or relationships or sex or possessions or whatever it is that we see with our eyes and we say to ourselves, I must have that and I will do whatever it takes to get that regardless of the means. They will keep us from seeing the one thing that is of supreme value, which is God Himself. David put it this way 3,000 years ago. He said this, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in His holy place? And he gives the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul to what is false and who does not swear deceitfully, he will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. And if you really know God, If you really know God, then the things of this earth should, as the hymn writer said, start to grow strangely dim. They should. Because Christ died not simply to save us from the penalty of sin, He also died to save us from the power of sin over us and from its presence in our lives. And so the the attractiveness of sin ought to be diminishing in your heart and in mine. And the things that we long to look at and long to take into our heart through our eyeballs ought to be the things of God and not the things which are forms of rebellion against Him. Amen? Blessed are the pure in heart. Because they will see God. I have a buddy who calls that sword for the fight against lust. You're a man and you're alive. You need that verse. And so do I. Amen. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. They will see God. Here's the bottom line. 
Bottom line. I'll give it to you. People who possess eternal life passionately pursue holiness. They compassionately care for other people and they purify their heart from sin. I want to put all three of those, those verses and what they mean in a sentence. That's it. That if you are a child of God, then the outcome of your life ought to be in at least these three areas. A passionate pursuit of holiness. A compassionate care for other people. And a purification of your heart and your life from sin. If these things are present in your life, praise God. Amen? Because you are growing and walking with Jesus. You know, we have these posters up on the wall. I don't know how many of you all pay attention to them or not. But one of them says, grow. Back here behind to uh, the left of Mark Swanson there. Uh, grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? How do you know if you're growing? Well, here's one way. If these things are present in your life, then you are growing in Christ. If, but if you know Christ, these things should be present. Let me ask some, some diagnostic questions here. First question. There's four of them. This is the first one. What is the one thing that you want most in this life? Let's assume you could transport yourself into the world of that movie. They handed you that magic compass. What's the one thing that you want most in this world? Really and truly, what's the desire of your heart? Is it to be like Jesus? Or is it something else? What is it? Everybody's got something they put at the center of their life, whether they admit to it or not. There's something that's there for which they're willing to give their life. What is it? Question number two, do you know anyone who has a need? We mentioned some this morning. Rob Franks is sick. Paula Ricky is hurt. Geraldine Schmidt is hurting. Curtis Dunkel is hurting. Danny Pyatt is still still hurting. His shoulder is probably permanently messed up. There are lots of people in need in our body. Do you know anybody who has a need? And if so, what are you doing to help meet it? If the answer is nothing, and you know what your assignment is as soon as you leave this building. Amen? What are you doing to help meet it? Blessed are the merciful, right? Question number three, is there anyone you need to forgive? If so, do that. Don't wait till you leave. Do that right now while I'm standing here talking. Forgive them in your heart before God right now. And then go talk to them as soon as you leave here. Amen? Don't allow a fractured relationship to continue. You need to forgive. Forgive. Because God forgave you. Amen?
Last question. Any areas of impurity in your heart? Are you taking in evil through your eyes? And if so, Matthew 5, verse 8, is the sword of the Spirit in your life. And you need to take that thing out back and stab it to death. Amen? If you are allowing impurity into your heart, you need to stab it to death with this verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, this passage is hard. This is hard teaching. Because we know that in order to do these things, we need an alien righteousness. We need your empowerment of your Holy Spirit because we cannot crank this stuff up on our own. We will never change to be like this if it's up to us entirely. So Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to fill us and to control us and to live the life of Christ through us that we might be transformed into the image of the Son. Father, Peter promises us that we who have been bought by Christ will be transformed to look like Christ and we will even be partakers of the divine nature. I am not entirely certain what all that means, Father, because I'm not grown up enough yet to understand it. But this I know. Father, that you are at work in my heart and in the hearts of your people here, and we need you. We need you to change us and to mold us and to shape us into people who look like and live like and speak like and think like Jesus, and we need it desperately. And apart from your intervention, it'll never happen. And so, Father, we pray for you to intervene in our lives and in our hearts and to make us yours fully and finally. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.